Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturer of the finest knife heat treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to another episode of Knife Talk. Now we've got another very special show today, as I've been hounded by you guys to get this guest and he's finally agreed. So I'm pleased to be chatting with Trollsky today. So welcome to the show, Michael. Hello, everybody. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> now, at, at the end of every show, I ask people for a list of people that inspire them. And your name comes up every single time, without fail. So yes, it, well, just a huge inspiration to the knife-making community. So I personally have learned a lot from watching your videos. So thank you so much for sharing those experiences. It's really nice to hear that because, you know, when I was starting my YouTube channel, it was like, I don't know, seven years ago. Hmm. I wouldn't expect that it would grow so big and uh, so many people will be inspired by my movies. I try to show everything very simple as I am working with my knives. I try to keep everything simple, very simple machines. Well, it's, it's because... certainly helped me over the years anyway. Certainly help. Yes, me. because uh, you know it's not that hard to make a knife when you have a very advanced shop, but when you have only basic tools, it's a big adventure. Mm, definitely, definitely. So I've got so many questions for you. So I'm going to start at the very beginning with okay. how, how long have you been making knives? Well, I am making knives. I think ten, eleven years. I started ten, eleven years ago. Wow. Uh, it was. Uh, a hobby at start for many years. Uh, I tried many things in my life because I was uh, very into the medieval enactment. So, you know, I tried to make mugs out of clay, some antler jewelry, but there was always steel around me and I decided I need to try. Yes, yeah, yeah. So so tell us about that very first knife. Was that, was that a, um, a, a replica of a, a sort of a medieval knife? Uh, yes, exactly. My first knife I made was a replica of, of a simple kitchen knife that was used in 15th century and, uh, you know, in, in the general, in, in medieval re reconstruction. Yes. There was a problem with knives because the knives were looking good, but they were dull after cutting a few slices of bread or they were, well, he treated, but they were really ugly. So... Uh, I decided I need to take the two things from it and make a good knife and also looking good. Uh, so, so I use uh, simple uh, carbon steel. And you know, there were some mistakes in the beginning. I am making mistakes even today. <laughs> uh, but I make one, then I make one for my wife, and you know. People, my friends, are started to asking me for a knife, so it started like that. Yeah, and and everyone's better than the last one, right? Yes, I'm trying to to uh, make better knives even today. That the one old one is, you know, the new one is better, but sometimes it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so we're just into the new year. 2018 has just just started. So what are your highlights from 2017? Well. 2017 was a crucial year for me because it was the the whole year. The whole 2017 was I was a full time maker because I started in October 2016. Mm. So you know this was a year that I was making knife 365 days, and 
I wouldn't expect that everything will go so fast because, you know, the forging fire, uh, they invited me. Also, I visit Atlanta. I was in Blade Show. So two big trips to the US in one year. When I was thinking about Blade Show, maybe in the future, but, you know, it's happened. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a, it sounds as if you had a very, very busy year. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I hope that this year will be also as busy as as previous one. Yeah. Well, that was the next question. What are your plans for the next couple of years? Making knives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to, to, to be better in, in making knives. I want to improve my techniques because I know that in some techniques I have lack of skills. So you know, I'm working constantly on my on my workshop, but it's pretty small. Uh, a few makers are invited from Poland to my shop, and when they entered the shop, they said, "Well, it's small because on your movies it looks like a big shop." Mm. And you know, I am I have like 18 meters square. My workshop is pretty small. So now I reach the level that I don't have a place for another machines. Right. Yeah, you're full to the brim. Exactly. So I, I, I reached my limit and uh, in the next two, three years, I am thinking about building a new workshop uh, next to my house. You know, the big one. I mean, three rooms, one room for forging, one for grinding and one for, let's say, clean work, right? Oh, that's the dream. Because, yeah, because now there's a big problem, you know, I'm forging and then I'm grinding still. And then you have to make a handle and there is a dust everywhere. Exactly, yes, yeah. Have you seen what Alex Steele has done where he's got his own little grinding room? Yeah, yeah, Alex is, is growing so fast. It's mm. it's really nice to see him. I remember him from like two years when he was doing hammers mm. and he was well known about the hammer making. He got a big workshop. Even then he got a big workshop. Mm. His and new workshop is huge, isn't it? It's massive. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a factory. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I hoped I hope to visit him. We were speaking a few times about this, so maybe this year, you know, we are living not so far away from each yes. other. So yeah, that would be great. That'd be great it's to just see. Just like three hours in plane, so no problem. So probably I'm gonna speak with him yes. this year, and I want to visit him. Fantastic, fantastic. So so whilst we're on the subject of YouTube. What got you into making videos originally? And, and has that benefited you in any way? Well, when I was starting making knives, there wasn't good source of knowledge, of knife making knowledge. Mm. So, you know, I was learning something from that guy, something from that guy. And I decided I will share, I will, you know, share my knowledge, all I know, without hiding any tricks on anything. So... It was the first movie. It was a slideshow of making a hidden tank knife. And I just do it because I like to share knowledge. I never expect that now, today, so many people will recognize my movies, my face, but it's not that hard. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was looking at your YouTube channel. You've had nearly 80 million views of your videos. And there's not that many videos compared to some people. So it just shows that the quality is fantastic. Yes, I. many people are asking me who are editing your movies and they don't want to believe when I say that I just learned it because, you know, compare my first movie and the last movie mm. and there is a little, you know, improvement of quality. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's the quality of what you're making as well that really shines through, not just the actual video quality. It's, it's the knives that you're making, you know? 
Yes, I'm trying to show the process in in a short way because some uh, makers are making movies that last, let's let's example, twelve, 12 minutes, and it's it's too long. People are getting mm. bored in the middle of it. So I decided I will make my movies the way I would like to see other knife making movies on the internet. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Yes, yeah. Okay, so you concentrate mainly on on sort of bushcraft style knives. Is that a style that you'll be sticking with, or do you have plans for maybe a bigger range of knives? Uh, I am treating knife as a tool. Hmm. It was my my basic thought that this is a tool. Okay, the tool can look nice, so that is why I am using the stabilized wood, the mosaic pins with with animals. Hmm. But still, every customer who is buying knife from me, I am asking him, but you will use it, right? <laughs> so uh, now I am focusing on, on on knives that people are using during the hunts, during the bushcraft, uh, the tripping. Mm. But in the future, you know, who knows? Now I have a few friends that they are making very advanced uh, folding knives, and they are uh, telling me all the time I should try to make a good folding knife. They, you know, they have a plenty of of machines and a huge knowledge. They they want to show it. And share with me. Yes, yeah. I mean, I mean, some of the makers that I've seen for folding knives, it's just incredible work. Just so precise, you know? Yes, exactly, the precision. I made like five or six friction folders in my life, and probably this year I will come back to this because I'm lacking of folding knives sometimes in my pocket. Yeah, fixed knives are really good for, for you know, where you're going to forest and you need to have a very strong blade. But when you go, you know, with kids... Hmm. Uh, to uh, some small picnic, you don't need to have a big knife with you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, so whilst preparing for this interview, I asked people to send in any questions that they may have for you. Um, and I'm going to announce future episodes on the Knife Talk Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash knife talk. So if any listeners wants to appear on the show with a question, they can do it there. But I've had a few questions specifically for you. Um, the first is from Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. And he asks, Hey, Michael, thanks for all your awesome videos. You're super inspiring. You're a super guy. One question for you. How would you characterize the difference between American-style bushcraft knives and European-style bushcraft knives? Thanks again, and um, all the best. Uh, Let me think. I think that... The bushcraft knives made in uh, Europe and the US, they have a lot of things in common. Uh, you know, I compare my vision of bushcraft knife and the uh, American vision of bushcraft knife when I was in Atlanta on Blade Show. Hmm. And uh, they are very similar. Maybe my grinds are a bit higher. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I've also had a question from Mike at Bristol Blades, and he asks, What's the Chile logo? What what does that mean? Okay, so basically Chile logo have like six years, I think, now, because my first knife for, for five years I was doing without the logo because I couldn't develop a good one that is close to me. Hmm. But uh, it will be funny what I say. <laughs> you can <laughs> I discovered my logo when I was in in <laughs> Restroom after <laughs> after very hot food. <laughs> I see where you're going with this. I see yeah. where you're going. <laughs> and also, 
I am planting my own chili uh, every year from 10 years. So, you know, the, the logo was very close to me, but I didn't figure out it, that I can use it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and also in, in uh, Polish language, uh, the word sharp and hot is the same. Ah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Right, right. But mainly because I love hot food, I plant my chilies. Uh, last year I plant like more than 100 bushes with, with all the uh, species. Wow, wow. Okay. You know, I'm living on countryside. I have a lot of plates. I have, since I'm full-time, I'm just living in my home, so uh, I can do everything with with garden. I have time for everything now. Yes, yeah, yeah. Less stress of heading out to work and so on, yeah. So, yes. so, so that logo, is that pressed or is it etched? Yes, uh, it's etched, but I am using, uh, first in the past, I was using the ferric chloride. Mm. But even after three, two months, it was still uh, working with the steel. Yeah. So, so I have a problem because there was some small rust in the logo. And now I am using the saturated solution of salt water and electricity. Yeah. It's very clean method. Uh, I also record a movie on, on YouTube when I'm showing the process that is really easy. Yeah, I mean, I watched that, which is which is why I etch my blades um, from your video, actually. Um, but I have been um, thinking about maybe pressing them lately, um, just so, you know, so it'll it'll stay on the blade and they don't fade and come off over time. Um, but that's interesting that you're still etching. So that that that's nice. Yes, uh, I tried to to you know have a mark in steel and punching it. Hmm. Uh, when the steel was hot, but uh, you know, sometimes from time to time, after the heat treating, the blade was bending in the place when the stamp was punched. Yes, yeah, and and I did experiment just the other day actually with a with a with a hot blade and putting a stamp on. Um, but when I'm putting the hot blade, because um, I specifically do chef knives, they're very thin. So putting the hot blade onto a cold anvil, it just started to warp very quickly. Exactly, because it's losing the uh, heat yes. faster with the surface of the anvil yeah. than on the other side. Yeah. So I'm thinking about getting some sort of um, some sort of compression there and um, having a um, you know just pressing it in cold. Yeah. Also, the the laser is very good for marking blades, but uh, when you are using laser, every chili or any mark will be the same every time. Yes, yeah. And when you are etching it, there are no two similar logos. Yeah, I, I'd love a laser, but man, they're so expensive, so expensive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I've, I've finally got another question from Sandy at Combat Knives EN, who are on, I think it was from Instagram. Um, they ask, did you enjoy your time on Forged in Fire? Okay, this is a very good question because, uh, you know, I just go home first and many people uh, ask me, what about that? Do you feel that you failed? And I am always answering that, you know, I'm not a type of guy who likes competing. Hmm. So I just agree to, 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 to fly to the New York and, and be the part of the international episode because of the adventure. Yeah, I never think about winning the money and stuff. That is why I wasn't uh, disappointed when I just screw my blade because 
yeah, I have to say that I overheated the ball bearing steel and the ball bearing steel hate two things. It, it's hate to be uh, forged too cold and heat treated too fat, too, too hot. You know? Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, you could see that you weren't there necessarily for the competition because it seemed as if everybody was just very friendly there. It was one of those episodes where everybody seemed to get on. And I know that you're still friendly with Julien from France here. Yeah, um, of course. I love this French, uh, no, French friend. <laughs> well, I've interviewed him on the show, and man, yeah, yeah. that guy's energy. Wow. <laughs> yes, I, I visited him in August. Yes. I was living 10 days with him, so, you know, there was a lot of forging, men's talk and, and stuff. And if he invited me, I will fly this year also for a few days to him. Yeah, and a lot of drinking as well, I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He wanted to try Polish vodka, but, you know, next day he was just smashed. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a great guy. I said, I loved having him on the show. And um, just uh, just on Facebook, his updates on Facebook, he, he's just he's just a funny guy. Yeah, and I'm really happy that he reached the final because, you know, when I was uh, going to the Fortune Fire, some people from the knife industry, I was known, right? Hmm. Yeah. And uh, he was like four years of experience and he's really good in forging and in making knives. So he got some feedback from people, some people from around the world, just, uh, you know, they know that someone at Julian is, is now. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's put his name out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I might say one more thing more, you know, after a few beers, when we were between the recording phase, uh, we will speak with Julian and we decided that if anyone of us will win, we will share the money. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. So it shows that no one for us is going just for competing and money and stuff. It was, you know, I met some really, it is funny, I met a friend, nice guy in the US, so I have to fly 12,000 <laughs> kilometers to meet him. To meet a French guy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I can see that all of your knives are carbon steels, um, but lately I've been playing with some stainless, some sort of 12C, 27M, and I've had some really good results from them. Um, so are you only using, is it 80CRV2 you're using, and what are the characteristics that you love about that steel? Uh, okay, I use this steel because, first of all, I really like it. Hmm. It's very good durable steel, and I have opportunity to buy like 600 kilos. Wow. <laughs> wow. In the okay. past. So it defined that I am using mainly this steel because I have plenty of it. Yeah. And uh, it's very good steel for bushcraft knife because in basic, this steel is using in knife in, in wood industry. Hmm. The big saws are made from, from this uh, steel. So it's really durable against the wood. Yeah. And in bushcrafting, the wood is your main material you're working with. Yeah, and I suppose you've really got to know the steel well too. Just using that one steel over and over again, you know, yes, you know exactly. its little characteristics. Yeah, uh, uh, all my knives are selected heat treated because uh, I like to that, to be that the spine should be a bit softer than a cutting edge. It's very important in in uh, outdoor knife hmm. uh, because it's way more durable with that. So I know that my knives now have like sixty hertz on cutting edge and 51, 52 on the spine. Right, yeah. So you can use it for battening, I suppose. So you can you can hit the spine and batten through wood. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and all the uh, stresses are going out because it's the upper is softer. Yes, yeah, 
Okay, okay. But I am thinking about LMAX. I already bought a big sheet of LMAX steel because uh, everybody says that it's a really good steel. Mm. And I saw in the blade show that Americans like the stainless steels. Uh, so if I receive a table, we will see on the blade show this year. I want to make a batch of Elmax steel knives because it's a very it's it's a top steel I think now for for knives. Yeah, and I, I think some of these really top, you know, high specification stainless steels now for guys like myself who are just um, aren't really forging. We're just you know we're just we're just shaping out our knives and we're 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 making our knives that way. Um, I think you know I'm starting to think more and more that do I need to be using carbon steels? You know, carbon steel is very good when you are in the bush. And, you know, your knife became dull because you chopped some old hardwood and you can resharp the knife using a simple sharper or even a hard, a hard stone mm. to found it. And you can't do that with powder steel. Yes, yeah. Yes, that's true. Yes. So if you, if you, if you haven't got access to a sharpener, a carbon steel would be better. Yes, I see. Yeah, yeah but, but, you know, in the kitchen or for everyday use, the powders still have the advantage that they are rust. They are no rust, right? Yeah, exactly. And they are keeping it. the sharpness for a long time, hmm. for a long, long time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, as a successful knife maker who's built a, a you know a fantastic reputation, how do you scale up production without losing that handmade quality? I mean, you, you very much trade on your name, so you can't bring in somebody else to up to up the, your production. So, so how are you going to scale that up? Yeah, that is that is true because uh, I am watching the knife market in Poland, and there is some, you know, stuff that if the maker is making good knives, but he is going for full time, hmm. uh, the grinds are way lower. You know, they are focusing on making more knives. Yes, yeah, but yeah. the quality is also, let's say going down a little bit hmm. so i decided that i will not do that i am focusing on knives i am not uh, i don't have an employee right hmm. because my customers like to know that the knife was made by my two hands only exactly them. yeah yeah you know i don't take orders i make knives because i have my vision of of knives of good uh, bushcraft knives so I am not working on other projects than mine. Right, okay. So no commissions. You just make your knife and you sell the knife. Exactly. I am just selling what I have. I am not taking orders because, you know, when sometimes is wanted to order a knife, mm. uh, he pays you some, let's say, half of a price to, to be sure that he will pay the second price after uh, after making knife. Mm. And, you know, he's calling every day and asking what the knife that he decided that the handle should be micarta, not a stabilized wood, <laughs> and you just glue up the handle. Yeah. So I tried in the past, but it's not a good way for me. I want to to make knives. Yeah. Only the knives I like, because That's... sometimes you know people are doing some fighting knives with with uh, false edge sharpen, and I don't like it. Yeah, I mean that's the dream for me too. Um, no longer commissions, but just actually make my own uh, what I think a good knife is, and then sell that on. Um, but yeah, hopefully one day. Hopefully I'll get there too. <laughs> you know, I was really afraid that if I am a full time and I have to, you know, 
deliver a living for my family. Yes, yeah. I will have to take some custom orders because I will sell five knives a month, but I need to sell 10, you know? Mm. And after this year, I saw that, no, I don't need to take orders. I just realized that my vision is okay. People like my design, like my level of details. And no, if something is working, do not change it. Let's talk about one of our sponsors, Tomac. To get great razor-sharp and repeatable edges, you're going to need a Tomac. To find out more, go to Tomek.com, which is T-O-R-M-E-K.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. So so how much time are you spending in the workshop each day? Well, I'm trying to spend at least six, seven hours. Hmm. But, you know, two small kids, homework, because since I'm full-time, I'm also a full-time father. Yes, yep. And uh, so I just take kids, drive them to school, and like around 9 uh, a.m. I'm the workshop. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going for kids like 3 p.m. And when they go sleep, I try to go for two more hours. But, you know, sometimes I'm too tired after making homework. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So did you expect that when you made your very first knife? Did you expect that this would now be your career? And what were you doing before knife making? Before knife making, I was a very boring guy in the office. I was a Cisco guy. Wow, right. Okay, so I was working with huge corporation. Mm. And I have two jobs in the past. So first the corporation, then I was making knives in the evenings. But, you know, uh, it was really hard. Mm. Yes, the, the juggle the two. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So so in the past, I would never expect that I will do make nice for a living in the future. <laughs> uh, so now I'm living my dream. I must say that because now I do what I love. Uh, no pressure on it. Yeah. You're in charge of your own destiny. Exactly. Exactly. So my life now is very slow, finally, because, you know, working in a, in a big office, I was having the whole time... Uh, zone the africa and europe i'd close uh, east mm. everything was under me so there was a lot of pressure in my work and i was always in a hurry yes yeah and now i just know that my you know my workshop is five meters from my home <laughs> now so when i have 10 minutes because kids are you know eating something i always can do that and even clean my desk do something yes yeah Live in but the dream. without pressure. Yeah, exactly. Live in the dream. So, so what makes for a great knife, in your opinion? I know it's a hard one because obviously a, a diff different knife will have a different purpose. But in general, what makes a great knife? Uh, after many years of making knives, I think that the heat treatment is 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 the key because you can make a really nice looking knife, but if it's too soft or too brittle. Uh, it will not do the task hmm. and also the design you know if you are closing your eyes and taking bushcraft knife to your hands you need to feel the knife that you are working with it uh, in the bush hmm. not just not watching the knife but just feel it with close to your eyes so the shape of handle the balance because the balance is very important some guys are forgetting about balance balance should be on blade hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So knocking hot bits of metal into sort of pointy, sharp shapes hasn't really changed much in hundreds, maybe thousands of years. So where do you think things are heading? I mean, technology has improved almost every other industry. So what would you like technology to do for, for knife makers or blacksmiths? If you had your ultimate dream, what would that be? Uh, first of all, I am the, the person who thinks that blacksmithing is very good, but it's not as important now than in the past, because in the past the steel was very low quality, so the forging was necessary. Yes, yeah. And now when you are buying a sheet of very good quality tool steel from the mill, uh, the forging is not so important. I think, because I did many tests with with my uh, with the HCC every tool, right? With forging it, with not forging it, mm. and uh, I can say that it's it's still very good for stock removal, but not for forging. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So times changing. Some people uh, want to have a perfect knife with you know powder steel folding knife with titanium. So, okay, the technology is very good, but also there's a plenty of people that want a traditional high carbon steel knife. And it's really good because I'm making knives like this. <laughs> They're your customer. <laughs> so, so making a knife by hand can be obviously, you know, a very long process. So have you got any tips for our, our listeners for speeding up that process at all? No, speeding up the process it's not so good because I learned the patient on making knives. Ten years ago, you know, I was wanted to make three knives a day, just show them in the, on the Internet and get some <laughs> likes on Facebook. But now, you know, I know that if I spend three more hours on the details, the customer will be really satisfied. So I am giving advice not to be hurry, just to focus on details and spend Three more hours on a knife, and you will see the difference. Yes, yeah. Just make, yeah, put the extra hour, hour or so in, just to get it to be perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just make the satin up to eight hundred paper, not to three twenty, hmm. and you will see the difference. Because I am trying to to make satin on uh, all my knives. It's a pain in the ass. It's the worst <laughs> part of the process. You can't do it by machine. It must be do by your hands, right? Yes, yeah. So are there any important steps that other knife makers and bladesmiths maybe overlook that you've seen? Okay, sometimes makers, but mainly the young one. They are focusing on, on uh, business cards, on boxes, mm. on stickers, but they are not focusing on removing the scratches from the knife in the start of the bevel. So it goes back to that whole thing of, of taking your time and just slowing the process down and making yes, sure sometimes it's perfect. It's, it's yeah. uh, too much marketing and the product should be defending itself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's very good advice. Very good. So what is your, your favorite and least favorite part about making a knife? Okay, so the worst part is making a satin. <laughs> because uh, you know when I hit it selective with the ham online, mm. so you are receiving very good satin on the hard part of the blade, mm. but you can also receive scratches on the mute part of the of the spine. So it's really tough to have a you know satin that looks very solid, because there is a difference between hardness on the blade. 
yeah. and the satin will look different. Right, yes. So, so it's hard, yes. And the, the best part, I think, when I'm receiving a mail uh, from customer after one year, uh, after he buy it, and he's sending some pictures with knife, you know, after one year, it's not shiny and beautiful like in the day that he just bought it. Hmm. But I know that he's using the knife. Yeah, that's a, that's always a lovely feeling, is that when you know your knife is being used. Yes, and also really nice is when I'm on the blade show, or sorry, on the knife shows, and some guy who, you know, take my knife two years ago, he just going and buying another one because the one he just bought two years ago, he gave as a present. Ah, oh, lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Okay. So I, I know you're a very busy man. I know you have to pick your kids up from school. So I've got a couple of questions that I'll ask every guest at the end of an interview. Of course, please. So the first is, what are you finding challenging? Anything that you'd love to make but you haven't built up to yet? So is that, is, is that one thing that you haven't quite tackled or mastered yet? Uh, okay. So I always was thinking about making my own woods. I was a part of process when someone make a woods, but I never make this, you know, crystallic Damascus by my own because it's very long and hard process. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe in the future I okay. will try it, but you know, it's, I know that it's really hard because after smelting it, you need to forge it and, and it's extremely hard. Yeah, yeah. So something that will that will come with time. You think it's it's something that you you won't put aside, but one day you will you will get to it. Yes, exactly. And the final question comes from another one of our listeners. This is another Sandy. So that's two Sandys on the show. Uh, but this one is Sandy from Young Knives. Hi guys, it's Sandy from Young Knives. Michael, could you tell us who inspired you or what inspired you to get into knife making? Because uh, you seem to be the man that everybody else has been inspired by. Oh, it's a very difficult question because, you know, it's changing. Hmm. Uh, I was in love with some maker eight years ago, but uh, in some point I decided that uh, his, because they are also changing designs and style, and his uh, current style changed. So much that I am not following the maker anymore. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. So it will be really hard to to put some names here. Uh, you know, I'm looking for inspirations uh, mainly on Instagram because I am watching plenty of makers. And sometimes, you know, I see that he make a pins from my cart and I see, well, that is really nice. And I just try to make some uh, pins from my cart myself, right? Hmm. So there is always someone better than you. It's 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 impossible to be the best. I am uh, explaining it very often because uh, you know I am always uh, learning myself, and I know that there are plenty of makers better than me. Yeah, I, I mean that's the great thing about the likes of YouTube and Instagram is that there's just this instant sort of stream of of inspiration isn't there you know you can just sit there and you can have 10 minutes and your head is just buzzing with ideas and you know you found some 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 great makers yeah this is really cool because 10 years ago you know when you are putting knife making in in google 
there were just online stores, but there wasn't some good sources of, of uh, pictures of designs. Now you have an Instagram, the Pinterest, the Facebook. Hmm. So there is a plenty of inspirations over there. Yes, yeah. I'm not saying by copying makers because it's a big shame, but inspiration, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's a very fine line. Um, but um, but yeah, you're right. You know, if you're copying somebody, you're not learning here. There's no point. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out. As I say, I know you're a very busy man. Um, I've certainly learned a lot from this interview, and I'm hoping others will. Um, but, you know, have a great 2018, and hopefully we speak again soon. Yeah, and I really say that thank you for the invitation. It's a big honor for me because the makers that are were before me, there are really big names, and many of them I just, you know, follow because they're really good. So now I'll be in the list with, with Liam, with Alec. Uh, it's really nice for me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.